And with that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start introducing our guests uh, in uh, random alphabetical, well, not, not, not random, but alphabetical order. We'll first introduce Diana D'Amico. Uh, Diana D'Amico is a storyteller. Oh, there we go. Hi, Diana. Hello. Is D'Amico right, by the way? It is. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, she is a storyteller, role player, and business owner in the TTRPG, which means tabletop RPG, and nerd spaces. In her day job at Die Hard Dice, she works to support content creators through the Dice Filiate program. After 5 p.m., you can find her sharing Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, Outbreak Undead, and other TTRPGs, both on her channel called Bard and Barbarian, as well as other streamers' channels. Uh, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, and I love your I love your lighting in the background. I'm sure many other people it's do my too. My mood lighting. Awesome. We are, I am in the mood. <laughs> uh, let's introduce Michael Martin. Uh, who is who has been telling stories uh, in tabletop RPGs for over two decades now, and in the past five years has taken that passion and love for the games and brought it online, combining his love for RPGs and his profession for the past 10 podcasting on and online entertainment, uh, Mike has discovered a thirst for telling stories with other actors in this new and exciting medium. And some of that involves a thirst for human blood because he has a podcast about vampires called Stitch of Fate, which I definitely <laughs> recommend that you listen to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's, that's, that's about right. Cool. Uh, and then last but not least, Becca Scott. I can't believe I'm introducing all these people, honestly. <laughs> like I was earlier in the back room, I'm totally starstruck and I'm amazed that I was able to get them all into a room or at least as close as we can get to a room, you know, in, in, in these unusual times. Yeah. Um, so Becca Scott is an actor, improviser, host, Twitch streamer, and YouTuber. She is best known as a host for Geek and Sundry on shows like How to Play, Game the Game, and TBD RPG, which is hilarious, by the way. Definitely watch TBD RPG. And as a correspondent for Magic the Gathering, correspondent for Magic the Gathering Games Workshop, Dell Alienware, and more. And she also voiced Sophie Gray in South Park. Uh, she has a YouTube channel, Good Time Society, where you will find her as the keeper for Call of Cthulhu live play RPG show, The Calyx, co-hosting the podcast to boldly watch and talking board games on how to game, game played, and good looking Kickstarters. That, yeah, that that is a lot of content. Um, <laughs> I gave you way too many things in that bio. It's, wow, <laughs> uh, sounds obnoxious hearing it back. <laughs> no, but, not at all. Uh, speaking of Diana's uh, uh, streamer dice creation system, uh, I am I am so grateful that <laughs> to be a part of that program. So I got excited and starstruck too. Oh yes, and someone yeah. Jay O'Kelly is now in the chat saying, "Woohoo, love Die Hard Dice!" They so are you are great. far from the only one. Who doesn't? That, that exactly. They're great. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted I wanted to start because I mean, we are here to talk about streaming, about video game and RPG streaming, which I may have even forgotten to say in the beginning because I was just you know too excited. Um, and obviously there there are a huge number of streamers out there today, but all of you have obviously managed to stand out in your own special ways. Um, how did you go about building your own niche or brand, or, or maybe you didn't consciously set out to do that, and maybe you were just kind of doing whatever you loved and, and letting the chips fall where they may. Why don't we start with Diana? What, what would you say about that? Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, so um, I had originally started streaming as part of a prior position with a different dice company, not mm -hmm. Die Hard Dice. Um, and I, I picked up a lot of useful skills and kind of cool technical things, um, and I, I learned that I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and so after I left that job and, you know, in the time of quarantine, when we aren't leaving our houses or putting on pants, um, streaming is a really good way to, to interact with people and to make new connections and all of that. Um, and so my partner and I, we decided to leverage some of those friends that we'd made along the way. And, um, we said, Hey, do you want to, do you want to tell some stories with us? Do you want to hang out on stream for a little while? Do you want to play some D and D? Um, and the answer to, do you want to play some D and D is always yes. Always. If someone doesn't have to run the game, it's usually yes. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. And, uh, I'm very fortunate that my day job ties in very, very closely with what I do after five o'clock. So, um, yeah, I've gotten to work with such amazing people, including the two individuals that are here with me today. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Yeah. That's always the answer for me. Do, do, do you want to play a role-playing game? Uh, I, uh, I was even, I did it for many years uh, before the advent of the internet. Um, and now, yeah, now now I want to do it on the internet too. I want to get it on the fun. Uh, do you want to play a role play? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I've never heard that song, but it's my new theme song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how about you, Becca? What, um, how did you go about oh, I, <laughs> building this sort of unique niche or brand for yourself? Or maybe you just did, you know, whatever, whatever felt right for you. That's what I ask myself every morning. <laughs> how did I do this? Um, well, my my way into the Twitchdom, <laughs> it was before like most people knew what Twitch was, before the Amazon buyout. I just stumbled into this studio that was doing uh, stuff. Before I even started um, working with Geek and Sundry, there was this strange magical place called Social Tron Live. And we just started doing Twitch streams. And I was like, oh, this is fun. And did one where uh, played horror games and pajamas with the black light. And, and then um, that it, Geek and Sundry wanted to launch, launch their channel. And uh, I had produced something because I was behind camera. Um, I was kind of leaning into the assistant director and producer route. Um, but then I was like, oh, well, I'll just play games for you. You want, yeah, I, I love games. I mean, I've, I've been more of a board game tabletop gamer all my life and came into TTRPGs through streaming. So, you know, did it backwards, but now it's all I do. Um, just just show up, just show up. That's my number one piece of advice for anybody. Show up and, and be pleasant. Yeah. You, said you, you, were, you were a war gamer? Board gamer. Board, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sure, a little yeah. war gaming here and there. Yeah. Um, so how about you, uh, Mike? Yeah. Um, uh, you, yeah, you certainly have a, a lot of projects yourself. How did you go about getting, sort of finding your own voice as a streamer? Uh, my answer is going to sound similar to Becca's, I think, in that, like, I don't know. Um, I started doing this, like, 10 years ago uh, for YouTube mostly as a hobby. It was kind of just an escape at the time. Mm -hmm. I just fell in love with um, this kind of gameplay videos and wanted to do that. And over the course of years, you know, as Becca said, you just keep showing up and eventually I met the right people, kind of became friends with people who were also growing and through collaboration and more years of work, we grew together. And um, I'd been playing D&D since I was 13 years old. And when I saw obviously bigger TTRPG shows starting to kind of explode and stuff, I just looked at that and I said, like, that looks fun. I would love to take D&D and then do my kind of tight take on it. And that launched our initial first Twitch channel which was Lost Initiative Show, which was like, we did D&D &D 5e and a few other things. Um, and then we tried World of Darkness there, and I ended up spinning off and doing a World of Darkness show on another Twitch channel called Roll For It. And it was through that show that I met Dot, and I met Bub, and a few other people that I've been telling stories with. And then as we were telling a story there, we kind of stepped to the side and said, hey, we could take this and do kind of a podcast format with this. How would we do it differently? Why would we want to do a podcast format? And that's kind of through that. That's how Stitch of Fate was born. So it was really just kind of putting putting in the time, putting in the work, finding, you know, meeting the right people, doing it because it's just something that we're passionate about and we love. And then I kind of just ended up in the position I'm in now. There wasn't really a, I never went into this being like, okay, here's what I want to be. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Awesome. It, 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 it's, it's really inspiring to hear your stories. I mean, well, partly because I, I'm I'm consuming your content all the time, and so you know, I get yeah, getting to have the inside scoop. Um, oh, we have more love for Die Hard Dice from Cher Davis. Was over the moon when I realized Diana works for Die Hard Dice. One more reason to love you, lady. Oh. We, we didn't have enough reasons. Um, <laughs> My heart. <laughs> uh, why don't you say a little bit about what what, what does Die Hard Dice do? Uh, well, so Die Hard Dice, the company, is just. Um, is spectacular. So uh, it's a it's a dice company. Look, look at this. You guys are so prepared. Mine's around actually. Um, it's not immediately today is the day where we play our, our D and D show. It's true, Black Dice Society. Go check it out. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so Die Hard Dice is a, a dice maker in the industry. We we work with a lot of different creators and we we work on a lot of cool new projects. But uh, my role within the company is one that is. Uh, specifically designed to support creators of all sizes. Um, so I run a program called Dice Affiliates, um, which is designed to provide some monetary stability for maybe some smaller creators who might not be ready for a full-blown sponsorship with Wormwood or Chessex or whoever. Um, we provide some of those resources that are going to help people pay for Sirenscape, pay for Zoom, um, you know, maybe contribute some money to their players, uh, just all those little things that tend to add up when you're putting together a new show or you're putting together a stream. 
Um, plus, we just make really cool dice. So there's that too. There's that. Yeah, and right, and now it's not only we not only have a ton of streamers in this space, we have a ton of companies popping up to support the whole infrastructure, which like is amazing. Really, yeah, and this this I mean it 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 suggests more and more to me that this is really the future. Um, I, I was telling people, you know, backstage that uh, this is really the kind of content that I tune into now rather than TV and movies when I have something going on in the background. Uh, is is that a trend that you all see, you know, accelerating now? Yeah, I mean, I think like it's 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 almost like a modern iteration on radio plays, yeah. right? Like something that was so popular back in the day, but now you do it. I mean, you can watch the stream and you know all the effort that goes into the cosplay and the acting that goes forward, but you can also grab the MP3 and you get a very similar satisfying experience. And mm. you know, you go back into the 40s and the 30s or, or however long back, and they were kind of consuming similar content. Granted, it was scripted, but now we're kind of filling that niche and the talents of improvised actors and people telling stories together. Um, it kind of just a modern take on that, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and the the interaction that you can really get with with the the way that TTRPGs are presented now, uh, as far as being in Twitch chat or leaving comments in YouTube and stuff like that. If I were a huge Law and Order fan, the probability that any of the actors is going to see and respond to a comment that I made about a particularly wonderful scene is slim to none, right? Um, but you know, I can leave a, a note on. Um, Stitch of Fate's latest episode and be like, oh my God, Mike, this was amazing. Uh, what a dramatic moment. How did you set this up as the storyteller? And I can get a response from that person in real time, which is just yeah. amazing. Yeah, I, I want to double down on both of your answers. It's the interactivity. It's that that's a real person. And to Mike's point about the old radio play, Today is episode six of Black Dice Society, and I'm so excited for it. One of our favorite fan comments is uh, from someone whose grandmother, Annabelle, uh, has been wandering by while he was sitting at the kitchen table watching on his laptop. And she was in the kitchen, she was listening, and she came over and sat down and was like, oh, it's an old radio play, I get it. And yeah, her interest in it reaffirms why it works in my mind. It's, it's just, you know, people telling stories with their imagination because TV can do anything now. And it's so boundless that we kind of like to work within this creative box and having these limitations allows viewers and players to use their imagination in new ways. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like we were talking about, the cost of doing this uh, is, is just getting lower and lower, even if you want to produce like a multi-camera show. Like it's not really that expensive to get a bunch of webcams and the technology that you need to switch between them. Yeah, the the cost you could you could kind of jump into now. Back in ten years ago, jumping in would get you like maybe a good microphone and a decent monitor. You know what I mean? Like the prices of tech of modern tech has just come so far down. Anybody can jump in as long as they have a decent budget to work with. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of that, well, because we are kind of tech geeks here at, at Black Magic Collective, um, I would be interested to know about your camera setups. Uh, how do you how how do you get your you know um, camera perspective to look so lovely on your streams? Um, if you would care to share any of your, your secrets in that sense. Uh, Mine, mine's not all that secret, <laughs> unfortunately, because <laughs> I, um, I mostly work within the podcast space now anyway, but uh, Twitch streaming and, and the like when I'm doing my um, weekly like vampire show over there, it's just right up here. I just have a sitting on top of my monitor, it's the C920, which is a very typical, a common camera for a lot of people to grab beginners and so Logitech. on. Logitech. Yep. Logitech. Exactly. It's a Logitech C920. It's, it's, it, it's great. And, uh, it, it provides HD quality, and I've never I've had this thing for years, and I've never had to replace it. Um, and you can just adjust the zoom and stuff and find your right angle. But I mean, Deanna and uh, has a hell of a much better view than than I do right now in terms of like background. You have a way better camera angle than I do. You know what's hilarious about that is this is I don't even know what this camera is. That's 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 how low end I went when I was getting in. But what I've learned is that with the right space mm -hmm. and the right lighting you can make a real cheap camera look really, really good, um, which allowed me to pour more money into stuff like audio. So yeah. it's a trade-off. I'm using um, a Razer Synapse camera, a Diva ring light, and I'm not gonna lie, it took me so long to set up my lighting this morning in such a way that my green screen was lit separately than me because my hair is more blonde than usual, <laughs> which comes out green. Um, but I also have a, a streaming setup. 
<laughs> that now is green. Um, but, yeah, like Cloud audio, sorry. The rolling green screen, clutch. Yep. Yep. Rolling uh, green screen is so good. Yeah, really only on Thursdays is my green screen day. So like, um, making sure that you have lit your background separately than your foreground is what I found to be the most important trick that is so frustrating and hard before you know that. You're like, why am I washed out? I'm putting more and more light. Because you're putting too much light on the front and not on the back. <laughs> yeah, Lighting is one of those things, yeah, that... I never got good at. <laughs> I try to teach myself more and more, but I always just end up messing it up more and more. I'm not good at lighting. Nonsense. You're gorgeous. Stop it. Yeah, that's lighting natural, looks great right now. natural lighting. I haven't had to do jack shit. This is the sun and my ceiling light. <laughs> just only schedule during the day and you're fine. Exactly. <laughs> uh, also, audio wise, getting a mixer, which was actually a, yes. a gift from, from um, somebody in my community, was the greatest thing that ever happened to my audio. <laughs> Yeah, the, oh, go ahead, Mike. No, please. I, I did not mean to go ahead. I was just going to say the the one piece of advice that I got uh, from B. Dave Walters, it will live with me until I die, rent free in my head. Um, first day I started setting up for a stream, I asked him, do you have any advice? And he said, focus on the audio. Because people, people can write off a blurry camera. Chances are good. Some people are watching on their phones and won't see you anyway. But they can hear you no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um. So I've I've kind of stuck with that and tried to focus on having that be very clear and crisp. And, um, you know, I'm sure that some of you have heard my dog snoring in the background. Good audio is just, you know, I actually haven't. I haven't heard him. You must have the cardioid setting on or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. me wheezing. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, definitely the same agreed with, uh, with Deanna. Like audio is first and foremost, like should be your priority, even if you only have a little bit like. You can get a decent studio condenser mic for like 150 or less that will last you a few years. I leaned on a Samson C01U studio condenser for like six years and it did the job until I reinvested in a in a Shure and a, and a mixer. But Mine's can, like a $90 mic and it's great. Yeah, you, you don't have to go like $1,000, $500 or whatever into audio to get good audio. And that's the other thing is okay, but don't judge people if they do, right? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean that's what I did. So don't, don't worry. Uh, that like I, I so I knew nothing about any of this. I I am not a techie person. I don't know what I'm doing on Black Magic Collective. Chris is like, Diana, go away. You, we don't need you anymore. Um, but I just asked. I was like, Hey guys, hey community, hey Twitterverse. Uh, yeah. I have X dollars to spend on this thing. What are your recommendations? Um, and it turned out that I had a friend who who dabbled in um, microphone modifications just for for funsies on the side, and he was like, "Okay, I'll set you up with something in your in your budget." Um, and it's it's worked out great. So if you don't know something, just ask the community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, m my experience of being a tech expert is uh, knowing how to Google what you want to know. <laughs> That's it. I should write that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not, hopefully not proprietary, right? <laughs> no, the every time you do it now, you have to pay me 50 cents. <laughs> right. I think that's, that's, that's how just, she keeps herself in business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that and Die Hard Dice now. That's just good advice <laughs> for like this industry in general. Like, I feel like that's how I taught myself everything was just Google Foo, man. I just Googled everything. There's no school. There's no teacher in this industry. You got to, if you want to learn, then you got to do it yourself. Yeah, my four years of a bachelor's in theater didn't teach me any of this. <laughs> so you all obviously are, are I, I think you all stream both video games and role-playing games. Um, uh, yeah, Di Diana, I know, yeah, you're mostly role-playing games. I'm bad at video games, guys. I try not to. Like, I, I shouldn't stop really you from you. streaming. Yeah, that should not stop you at all. Yeah, right that here. Can be, that can be entertaining too, yeah. Um, how do you how do you choose the games that you stream? I mean, I know some people are going for whatever game just came out because they think that'll get the most attention, and then there are other people who are just going to the games that are passionate about and so on. So, what, what, what's your philosophy as far as that goes? Wh whoever whoever wants to take that, I'll jump in. Okay, number one, I love to stream Magic: The Gathering Arena uh, nonstop. If I could just play that eight hours a day, I probably would. I guess I could do that. But now um, there's too many other fun games to play like role playing games. But <clears throat> uh, I, I have every Thursday I stream for Geek and Sundry and it's a variety stream. So we play a different game every week. So um, I just this past week, 
went to my Discord and asked everybody what's a great single player adventure game that I, I can play for three hours and got some really great suggestions. But Steam is such a resource. They're rating system and um uh is usually i'll just randomly pick something that has a cool trailer on steam hmm. yeah uh yeah for me um since streaming uh video games right now is more of just kind of a, a side thing where i just it's more of like a do for interest it's kind of like whatever more serves my purpose for youtube at the moment so right now i know i want to work on a video for stalker um from like 2003 so on stream i'll play through stalker and then after stream um, I'll write my script, I'll do my research, and I'll create a video on that game for YouTube. So I kind of use it as like a a, a way to kind of show the, the stuff I'm going to be playing anyway. It's it's it, the yeah. Twitch for me is a way to kind of dual purpose the content that I'm making for YouTube in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm the exact opposite. So for me, instead of it being a learning experience or something that my community chooses, for for me, it's always whatever makes me look the most ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I I like to do a lot of a lot of fundraising and charity stuff on the side. So people like to watch me fail at games is what I'm learning. Um, so stuff, stuff like phasmophobia or there's, there's, I can't even think of what it's called. Um, there's a game where you play a cat and the entire objective is just to knock things over and like trash an apartment. Like I've played that one on stream. Um, it, it's, it's whatever allows my community to engage a little more, um, whatever they're kind of in, invested in, in the moment. But anything real time makes them laugh. So there we go. If I can pull off of that, like like uh, like Becca said, how Steam is such a huge resource. Uh, Indiana said, you know, community. There's so many Steam games now that have Twitch integrated into them that Which they can awesome. directly affect the game that you're playing. There's just just there's so many resources now to just directly involve your community. Yeah, and the same is true when it comes to role playing games. Actually, I'd be curious about how. You, I mean, is it just the role-playing games that you happen to be really digging at the time? Or do you have some other way that you decide on the games that you're going to play? Chris, I know um, you've you've watched our Q-Times games with World of Darkness, right? Uh, so that started out with me going to BJ Walters and saying, hey, I have no idea how to play Vampire the Masquerade. Do you want to show me and some other people on stream so that they can learn too? Hmm. Um, and we've now been streaming World of Darkness games for over a year. Uh, just going through these different games. So for me, I much prefer to play things that I don't know, um, but that I'd like to try and share with other people. So there's been some amazing, like edgy stuff on there, like the game about the fairies and the uh, the one about the, uh, the the spirits. And those are both World of Darkness settings. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. Wraith, Wraith the Oblivion. And yeah, it's always, yeah, it's always it. Wraith is great. Something colon the something. There are too many of those games in the world <laughs> to tell them apart. It's true. Mm. Yeah. Um, for me, as far as choosing RPGs go, it's more just what, like for me, if I'm going to storytell, I kind of stay in the world of darkness. It's just like my bread and butter. It's what I know. But if I'm playing, I am way open to trying all kinds of different things because I don't have to hardcore learn the system immediately. I just got to learn the basics so I can play and role play and get in a character. But world of darkness is just, if I, if somebody wants me to run it, I'm kind of just, I'll stick in the world of darkness. Anything, vampire, werewolf, mage, you name it. I just love that world. Yeah. Uh, up until last summer, I was very much a uh, whatever. I'm down. I'll show up. I'll roll dice, and I'm gonna lean into the role play side because I come from an acting background, and uh, you know, not that I don't understand the mechanics, but the role play part is is what's really fun for me. And then I guessed it on Stream of Blood, and uh, they have a show called Neptune Society where they bring in just different players for one shots, playing Call of Cthulhu, and I thought. Percentile dice are everything. <laughs> and I bought the Keeper rule book and I was like, okay, I'm starting a show and got together friends. Um, and we just did our 22nd episode that Chris was watching on a second monitor a minute ago uh, last night. And um, uh, so so I, I got very addicted to Call of Cthulhu just because I'm really intrigued. I, I find that the ability to have a... a, a smorgasbord of character skills helps me to create the character on the fly of like, oh, well, horseback riding is in their skill set. So I think this means that like, yeah, they're really good at it, but they fell off when they were a child and now they have a phobia there or, you know, <laughs> um, just anything that is a tool to create a unique 
character uh, backstory moment uh, is is really fun, and that's that's why I lean into Call of Cthulhu as a system. It's the best system. It's the best system. Best system. 100%. I'm jealous. It's one of those systems I haven't tried yet that I've really been itching to get my hands on. So we can change that. Hey, listen, you sign me up. I'm I'm into it. Like okay, I, use my discount code Calix2021 at checkout. <laughs> I will. I will. Sorry, it's, I'm programmed. <laughs> you, Brandon, I mean, the reason Brandon, you not look, programmed. <laughs> the reason you say you love Call of Cthulhu is the same re- similar reason I love World of Darkness too, because the rule system allows for such easy character creation that allows you to give them a history to just build on immediately. Uh, fifth edition Vampire is is so mechanically light compared to V twenty uh, in a way that is more lenient and heavily focuses on storytelling as opposed to you know trying to be more mechanics heavy and, and like numbers crunchy. And that's why I love V five because I can open yeah. up a book and in a few seconds if I need to put together a character in my mind. I can do so just looking at the skill list and being like, okay, here's what they're good at. I don't need to worry about do they have a plus five, a minus two, any of that. Just they have three dots in it. It means they're pretty good at it and just not think about it anymore. And that that really lends itself to to the streaming environment of playing TTRPGs too, right? You can get it's very, very easy in in D to get bogged down with those rounds in combat and all of the math yeah. and everything that goes along with it to where you kind of lose that pacing. Um, I, I find that in Call of Cthulhu and the World of Darkness, I don't, I don't see that as much. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. It's a good system. Nice yeah. and nice and crunchless. Yep. I, it's, it's really One nice. more note. I was going to call out M. Jones on that comment. Yeah, that's also what I love about Call of Cthulhu, the mystery of the unknown. Mm-hmm. I like the uncovering of clues style of role-playing game. Always mm-hmm. fun. And great pre-written scenarios from Chaosium. Yeah. And, and the constant threat of being grabbed by tentacles. Yes, yes. tentacles could be anywhere. <laughs> threat or reward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It depends on how you see it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and speaking of that, um, so I, I know that all of you have done, you know, sort of long form campaigns where you, you know, you've done something over a long series of sessions, like like Black Dice Society, for instance, or, or it's, uh, the Q Time shows that we were talking and, and Stitch of Fate. Uh, all of you have done that. Um, how how do you decide whether to do a long-term campaign or like a one-shot adventure? Like what do, what do you tend to gravitate toward more and, and what works better for sort of streaming purposes? Um, I guess it depends on, for, from my perspective at least, it, it kind of depends on what, on, on your audience. Um, my longest running show is another vampire show called uh, Sound of Silence and season two was called uh, Silence of Shadows. A total of 84 episodes, each like four hours long. We're going into season three, the final season. Well, all I had in mind was a three-season arc as storyteller. I knew I wanted to do three seasons, and I knew how I kind of wanted the general themes of each season to go. Um, The second season was our longest. We did 54 episodes, but we basically said, you know, we know how I want the season to end. When we get there, we'll get there. And the players were all in for the long haul, and there was no concern about that. And um, we knew that the audience would, you know, if we're going to do something long like that, the audience is going to get attached to these characters, and it's going to be really important. Um, So... It's it's more just like, I guess it's more what me and my players are looking to tell. Are we looking to tell a long story? One shots kind of fit in between the seasons. It's almost like that's what we do in between. Um, we just take about a month or two off between seasons before jumping back in. Um, but we tend to lean toward the longer form because it gives the, the viewers and, uh, and the listeners the chance to latch on to these characters and it makes those yeah. dramatic plot turns even more. And if, you know, God forbid, a player ends up dying somewhere along the way, the ramifications of that are going to be felt much more in uh, something that's like 50 episodes long, as opposed to just a one shot where you kind of expect people to kind of blap out and they're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people start making fan art when you've got a long form campaign. Like I was surprised, right. like with Black Dice Society, I was surprised at how it's like, it's only the first episode and now we've gotten hundreds of sketches. Of yeah. The other characters. Awesome. Oh man. We commissioned our first set from Adam Schubert and I got to shout out Devil Daisies in particular. This is an amazing artist that uh, immediately latched on <laughs> to drawing my character, Tatiana. And um, I'm, I love her and I love her interpretations of my character because she sees what's in my brain. Um, but I have to say, Black Dice Society will be my first long-running campaign, even off-camera. Uh, at six episodes, that's a max for me already. <laughs> that's awesome, though. But I've probably played uh, 100 TTRPGs that are one to three shots. So, <laughs> um, 
I have a very unusual experience in that regard. And therefore I always <laughs> create a big character that is ready to make drastic decisions and die valiantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, I've, I think I've had far more short running campaigns than long ones. Um, I, you know, really, I feel like lately I've done nothing but one shots, honestly, between Jasper's game week and everything else. Um, and, and I think a lot of it for me, at least right now is scheduling. Um, and I'm sure you two feel it too. Uh, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day. You, you can't sit at every table and play every game. Um, but I find that short arcs and one shots allow me to share the table with more people. And, um, you know, that's, that's always fun to get to play with new players and experience a new dynamic and kind of see what other people do differently. Yeah. And actually that raises an interesting question about how, because I know all of you obviously do things outside of streaming. There, there are some streamers what? who I think, <laughs> okay, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, well, like you mentioned that you do acting as well. Although I mean, obviously some of the streaming, the streaming stuff you do also involves acting, but I think you do some non-streaming acting too. Uh, uh, I, I got to be in an actual shoot on a set this week that was ooh. a big one. And that's all I can say because uh, I'm, I'm not allowed to say any, <laughs> what yeah. it is, um, but uh, it, it the life of an actor is waiting for jobs and uh, getting <laughs> let down by the jobs you didn't audition for and didn't get. So, um, you know, yeah, yes, that's that's still a thing, but um, most of my time has been streaming. Yeah. yeah, it probably happened to a lot of people during 2020 who were accustomed to leaving the house in order to act. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a whole different uh, topic for another panel, but the the industry has really changed in the amount of self-taping that you do for auditions. Um, and I'm sort of stepped away from that because I'm streaming so much. Uh, yeah. I'll just wait till people ask me to do the thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it, it has really changed. I mean, a lot of people uh, still are an LA local on paper, but have moved mm -hmm. away and will send in their tape. And then if they get booked, come out. Right. Which is nice that you can not have to pay the crazy rates uh, to live in LA and yes. still get work. Yeah, well, well, cost of living in LA is wild. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we have some questions from chat. Uh, M. Jones says, if you could hold on to one old system and game, what would it be and why? Presumably this refers to RPGs. What do, you, what do you all think about that? What old RPG system would I want to hold on to? How old are we talking? Cause like I loved Wraith. Wraith was my favorite RPG experience ever. Um, a great setting. It's yeah, it's pretty. Have you played the VR game? Uh, uh not yet. Uh, not yet. Maybe that'll be when I, I scream and horrify myself. Um, I mean, I, I you know I'll just be I'll be the stereotypical answer for myself. Uh, I would hold on to Vampire V twenty. Uh, not that I think it's a great system in terms of its mechanics, but the lore and the history there and the amount of uh, depth there is to that system at this point and how many side pieces and stuff that are there. There's just an endless wealth of potential storytelling material. Even in V5, you could easily retool most of it to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would hold on to V20. Yeah. That has been around a while, hasn't it? Like oh, yeah, Jason Carl was working with yeah. yeah, five. I was going to say six, but I think you're right. I think it's five. That's because Jason Carl is immortal. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's wild talking to Jason now and being like, dude, I've you've been around for so long and I've no I've no I have like your books from like forever ago. <laughs> yeah. We have another question from Cher Davis, which is aside from the love of doing it, do you feel there are ways to create adequate forms of ongoing compensation? <laughs> it, it, let me know if this is too sensitive a question for TTRPGers and actors. Yeah. Um I think it comes down to being sure to uh, ask people to pay you. <laughs> know your worth. And uh, there are forms of revenue. Like um, well, uh, my my stream is sponsored by Chaosium when we play Call of Cthulhu. Uh, really, it came about with me loving Call of Cthulhu first and deciding I wanted to do that stream and then reaching out to Chaosium and saying, would you like to sponsor? Here's how much it would cost for me to be able to pay my guests. Uh, and you know, those things aren't sustainable forever for the companies, but you know, people are publishing a product that you are helping promote. So 
Um, it's really about understanding the business and understanding what is economical for the company and, and what is fair for you for the amount of work you're putting in. And if you're putting in too much work for no compensation, then well, maybe do something else. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not. I agree with Becca 100%. So if if you want to get paid to do something, ask. Yeah. It's, it's really that simple. Um, I say that like it's really easy, uh, but I have I have a unique vantage point here because I'm on both ends of this particular conundrum. Mm. Um, and and what I'll say from the business side of things is that when I look at a stream or a group or or, or a network or something like that, and we're trying to decide what kind of monetary compensation is appropriate, it always comes down to passion, right? Mm. Um, there are there are things that certain people in the industry uh, do and are known for that are a hundred percent free, but they show how much the person cares. Um, those little things like always be on time, um, you know, do, doing the cosplay. It's it's never something that's like required required, um, but but showing that kind of input and that kind of effort being put forward, um, you know, the the passion really shines through. And as a as a business person looking uh, looking at those individuals, those are the ones who we want to help support because we know that they care about the project and the product. Um, and then as a, uh, as a TTRPG network, pay your cast, pay your, even if it's, even if it's not much to begin with, tell them, say, Hey, you know, we really appreciate you giving us your time um, and helping us put together this great story. Here's what we're going to be able to pay you going into the first 10 10 episodes or whatever. Um, here's how we plan on compensating you in the future. Planning for those things and then discussing those projects with companies that that align with your values is going to be the best way to make sure that you're sustainable. Going going off that, um, from the creator's perspective, kind of where the only one I, I operate of and obviously working with uh, Dan a, a lot, well, just a dot uh, uh, works with with her more. Um, and honestly, uh, dot uh, little red dot on Twitter. Please go check her out. She actually had a really great thread on this exact topic a few days ago. Like she breaks it down way better than I ever could. Um, but for our perspective for Stitch of Fate, I mean, as Deanna said, you know, we couldn't jump in there with a ton of money. Uh, there wasn't really a lot there, especially the first season. We, uh, you know, dot Chelsea went out ended up getting a bunch of grants from a few different places just to fund our first season. But you know, we ended up. It wasn't a lot of money for everybody. And one of the people that joined us, Mark Muir, he's, we couldn't afford his rates. Like there's, he's, you know, he's Commander Shepard. He's, he's, he's a bunch of other, you know, really great voices in video games. But we approached him. We knew he was looking to do a vampire thing just because he loves the system. And uh, Chelsea was like, here's what we can offer you. Here's what we're looking at for the first season. And if it does well, we'll launch a Patreon. And here's how the pay would adjust as it grows. And he jumped in right away. And he's been with us ever since. And we're in season two now where... Obviously, we work with uh, Deanna, and we have our own pa uh, Patreon as well, and other forms of funding. Um, but you, we were just up front; just everybody knew what we were getting into from the beginning. There wasn't any hidden like, "Haha, we're doing an extra twenty episodes." You hold to it. If people are enjoying it, and it's like great show, and the audience is growing, then they're going to stick around because they're going to be there from the ground level. And as it gets bigger and, and bigger, they're going to be benefiting it from it monetarily as well. Yeah, you got to yeah. treat it like a business. I mean, Correct. Yeah. I just want to quickly mentioned that there is a dynamic of gender and there's been studies where, you know, in a traditional workplace, women are more hesitant to ask for more money because um, they're sort of like, well, I have to prove it and then I'll be ready to earn more money instead of like, well, if I'm paid more, I'll work harder is kind of um, a more traditional male perspective. And not to say that there's, you know, this binary and there aren't a whole spectrum in between. Um, but I think that some sometimes people need a little more confidence to just not be afraid to ask. Just be tactful with how you're asking. Be okay with no. If the answer is no, that's fine. It doesn't mean you're unworthy. It just means, you know, there's not the money right now. But um, especially like I as an actor have been managed and have had agents before. And right now I do those things for myself because I, I realize it's kind of like, well, so long as you're willing to ask for it, there, there's no problem with being your own advocate, but just know that you can ask for those things. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and 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 going into streaming RPGs, I mean, even that takes a certain amount of, a certain leap of faith, I would imagine. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the medium, the niche is definitely growing, but it's yeah. still a, a niche in compared to, yeah. you know, all the other dominant forms of entertainment on Twitch right now. But it's a niche yeah. that is 
exponentially growing and growing quickly. And there are more and more shows that are filling um, kind of that space. Again, Dot, Chelsea, she she's she's kind of does all the behind the scenes things for Stitch of Fate, but she she dives deep into Twitch and she kind of comes out with these numbers and she really has it all broken down into a science to like how fast certain uh, certain topics on Twitch and the TTRPG community are growing compared to others and what people should be focusing on. And it, you know, if you really want to get into the depths of that stuff, Twitch provides you all the tools to do so. And you can really hammer in where you guys are growing and where your kind of avenues of growth should be and can be. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, is that something that you do analysis of like all of you, like what were the Twitch analytics for this particular RPG stream or that one, or are you more focused on, you know, what, what, what do I want to do and what, what strikes my fancy right now? I tend not to look at the numbers. Yeah. I, I do my very best. Um, you know, in in the past year uh, of quarantine, lots and lots of people have been have started streaming, have started sharing their their product, their stories with the world. Um, and one of the hardest things about doing this is uh, the the measuring stick that you constantly find yourself up against. Right? Um, you know, there are people. <laughs> Uh, th there are people, the critical role constantly has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people yeah. watching. Um, you know, you you can't look at that. And um, one of the, the most valuable pieces of information I was given was, you know, 20 dedicated uh, audience members mm -hmm. is better than 100 people who are only engaged for five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to avoid the analytics because because I know my brain. And I know that it would, if I did, if I really dove into them, I would never stream again. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Com comparisons. Always going to be your own downfall. Yeah, yeah, eyes on your own paper is one of my favorite uh, mantras. Um, but at the same time, you need to know what's working and what's not. And so I do look at numbers, but I only care compare them to my own numbers. So if a, one video did better, I, I try and figure out the reasons why. And I'm no statistician, so I don't probably don't get as much from numbers as say this this dot character. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I think there's always lessons to be learned from looking at the math. Um, and, and whether that's oh okay, well a, a longer stream brings in more eyes or um, uh, the first episode of a new arc is always going to get more than the third um, and stuff like that is useful information to say, give to potential sponsors and stuff like that. So you kind of have to pay attention to the numbers a little bit, but at the same time, if you're passionate about the thing, maybe it just hasn't gotten enough uh, shares yet. And if you dig your heels in and really, you know, passionately commit to it, then that will grow numbers. Um, but just, you know, make sure they're going up and not down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, as they both have said, comparison is your own enemy at this point. Like, you don't want to compare yourself to anybody else. Um, as far as analytics are concerned, I'm kind of coming from a different spot. And because uh, I pod, uh, such a fate's a podcast, it's not streamed on Twitch. Um, so know your know your medium too, and what you're looking for in terms of your analytics and your statistics. Because, uh, for instance, podcast uh, analytics are drastically different than Twitch because there's no way to measure how long really anybody was listening. Um, hmm. There's a way to, me to to measure how many people downloaded the episode, um, but as far as like when they dropped out, how far along they listened, that's not really available yet in terms of podcasting analytics because. Hmm podcasting isn't like on a one you're not just going to twitch you're not just going to youtube you're putting it up on a host and then it shoots it off to like 10 15 different podcasting hosts and they're trying to aggregate all the numbers from those different ones and they all measure kind of differently so it's a little bit different um but as long as you're not going down you're in the clear a lot of people also see stagnation as bad i just see that as stability it means you've really hit like a, a core audience that isn't going anywhere and there's always opportunity to get that stagnation to go back up, whether it be the beginning of a new season or maybe a new guest or uh, a new story or what have you. But don't, I, I think seeing stagnation as an enemy as well, or a bad thing is also kind of self-destructive. Hmm. Yeah. Listen to yeah. both of them. They're more optimistic than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it seems that you can, I mean, even if a particular stream on Twitch doesn't get a ton of views, you can uh, just record that and then make it into a YouTube video. And I think that Mike, you were talking about doing this before um, that, well, of course, um, your, your Twitch streams get a lot of views, but you can also turn them into YouTube videos that have post-production on them. And then yeah. they can become part of this continuing saga that's narrated by you and has graphics and, and, and so forth. 
Yeah, um, I'm repurposing content, as some people call it, or, or just finding out a different way of using the content that you're already going to be producing on the back end anyway is always a good way. It just work smarter, not harder is a lot of, yeah. you know, it's a very typical saying. Just if, if you're going to be doing something in the back end and you could be putting it in front of an audience and they will be entertained by it and you can have a good time doing it, I don't see a reason not to do it because you're going to be doing it for work either way. So you might as yeah. well. Yeah. And we have a question. How many episodes of content should you have ready before launching a TTRPG campaign, or should you not worry about it and just get the first few episodes written and go? I think that depends on the TTRPG. Hmm. Yeah, um, good answer. Yeah, I mean something like like Dungeons and Dragons, where you know here are your adventures, here are your heroes, present them with this this quest, just dangle it in front of their faces, hmm. um, and the nature of Dungeons and Dragons is that they'll follow. Um, whereas something, something like being in the world of darkness, you're presenting your, your coterie or your motley or whatever it is, you're presenting them with a, a set of circumstances, uh, that they're really supposed to work within. So I don't write anything except for like, here's the premise. That's what you get ahead of time. Um, because it, it, writing too much is just going to leave you frustrated when when whoever's sitting at that table totally derails it and goes yeah. off to, to chase something shiny. And it'll happen in like five minutes. <laughs> it oh, will yeah. not take long yeah. before they choose option Z. So mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I like to be the chaos agent that chooses option Z as a player. Um, so I say... Don't don't worry about that. Uh, I I see TTRPGs as an improv exercise with like you know some bullet points uh, to hit or not hit. It, be ready for anything. But my idea of like well, when do you know when you're ready to to do the thing? I think set the date first, and that's the day you will be ready. Because me personally, <laughs> I commit to a bunch of stuff. But if I uh oh. Oh man, um, speaking of, I, I gotta run soon. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you if you have the thing in sight and you're like me and that you like to be prepared, you'll know, okay, great. Well, I have two days till that thing. So now is the time that I'm gonna crunch <laughs> because I have to be ready in the two days and I'll be ready enough wherever I am in those two days. That's what we got and where we're going it's, from. Just do the best you can. It's gonna happen whether you wrote it or not, so. Yeah. Yep. But uh, tabletop RPGs are a collaborative experience, so let it let it be collaborative. Lean on your players if you're ever in doubt. Yeah, I as a storyteller, I am not their enemy. I'm working with them to tell a cool story. Whatever serves their characters at the time is kind of what I end up going with. I'm a hundred percent the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're playing Call of Cthulhu. You might be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah there's some gms where if like, an attack hits them they're like okay you hit me why'd you have to do that like, yeah okay, I'm, I'm gonna roll to hit you it's like no it's not you it's, don't take it personally yeah definitely don't i don't i don't like being the antagonist 100 percent of the time i try to be collaborator a lot of the time as well yeah um yeah well we just have we have a few more minutes um but we have one other question that do you uh, need to run back i i actually have to run i'm oh, so yes, sorry i have a live stream uh, beginning in nine minutes. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to guest. And I know you, I don't want to, um, uh, uh, it was so nice to meet all of you. <laughs> it was really nice meeting you too. Thanks. Becca. Thanks so much for being here. Bye. Um, yes, but I think we can take one more question, which is how long before a campaign starts, should you be reaching out to people to be players? How long is courteous and appropriate? Uh, I guess that 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 would depend on. Um, are you looking to like do this as if you're looking to do this like as a Twitch show? Um, it depends on. I guess it depends on the game you're playing. Some require a lot less prep than others. Vampire, for instance, very little player prep, a lot of storyteller prep. Where there are some where it's equal and some where it's less. So it the just depends lore. on where you're playing. What was that? The lore. Yes, the, it's just you got to know your world. I don't know how Call of Cthulhu is out of curiosity. Like, what kind of like what kind Call of Call of Cthulhu? I, I feel like it's the exact opposite because Call of Cthulhu is basically bending reality, so mm. you can make or not make things happen, sort of willy nilly. Because Elder Gods are doing it, and they don't have that's, any rules. That's true. That um, sounds fun to be a storyteller and <laughs> yeah. just flying by the seat of your pants. But like, um. I don't know. For me, I work backwards. So I, I pick the people that I want to play a game with and I, I work backwards from there. Um, so you sometimes, sometimes before I've even decided on the system. Um, 
I'll just be like, hey, you know what, Tanya, you and I haven't sat at a table together for a little while. Why don't why don't we do this this D and D one shot themed around Disney villains or whatever it is? Um, yeah, and I wonder I wonder if there are shows there are people going through this more like Hollywood style process of casting for these kind of RPG shows now. Like invariably, I think that's that's starting to creep in. Are, are it's important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've we've seen over the past two or three years. I mean, just to use Matt Mercer as obviously the obvious example, not to compare yeah. to him, obviously, but I mean, look at the people he was DMing for. I mean, Stephen Colbert, Vin Diesel. Like, we're already seeing Hollywood kind of trickle into this sphere. It's gonna. It's just. It's the the leaks that will lead to a flood at some point. I imagine yeah. we'll see a lot more of it as time goes on, especially as people, as the Hollywood elites see the money in it. And the other side of that is the fact that you know. It is at its heart a performance, 100%. When you're sitting there and you're making that podcast or you're putting together that TTRPG stream, there is a big difference between doing that live in front of people and sitting at a table at home with your friends on a Saturday morning playing D&D. It is an entirely different user experience and um, ultimately it is entertainment. So you should be uh, acting a little bit and improvising and... Um, playing to that role yeah that's that's such a good point like that's one of those things that i you know i kind of think of naturally and don't even think to say it's uh there's so many people who jump into this especially recently that think they can just put a camera on their saturday night show like you said and just go and something that i've always said since i've been doing this and especially to the players i bring on the show well it's all improv none of it's scripted it is 70 percent a show 30 percent a game uh for mm -hmm. when we do stitch of fate which simply means if I, you know, if I make a call or something, if I'm, if a rule is being bent in purpose of the story or in purpose yeah. of your character, the plot, there is no pushback. The character, you know, the players won't say anything. We're at a, a table. There might be a little bit of a debate with the DM or there might be a little bit of a debate by the rule or by the call. Um, but that's not like, like uh, Deanna said, it's, it's entertainment first. It's a game second. If you're looking to stream and cultivate an audience. Well, yeah, th th this this is amazing content that I hope everyone else has found as, as amazing as I have. Um, we'll, we'll have to end our chat, uh, but um, thank you uh, again so much for being here um, and for providing the you know wonderful background uh, <laughs> content while I'm writing music and so forth. <laughs> I have you guys out all the time, like I said. And uh, yeah, uh, um, looking forward to uh, seeing what's next up for you all. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. It was really good to meet you, Deanna, finally, having, having only heard of you through whispers. It's it's one of those things, one degree of separation. Uh, yeah, Chris, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.